Praise God. If you have a Bible, you can open your Bible to Matthew chapter 7. How many of you are blessed? God's with us. I'm super encouraged. Good stuff is happening. All right. We are in a uh, series of teaching about relationships and revival. And the whole point of this is that we want to figure out how to do relationships well. Um, you know, I love doing ministry with, with Josh and Nicole. These are some of our best friends. And, and um, you know, you can see the fruit of all that. But uh, in order for us to do ministry for a long time, we have to, we have, to have a healthy relationship. Does that, does that make sense to everybody? And, I, and a, lot of, a lot of ministry ends up sometimes falling apart because we, we don't know how to communicate in a healthy manner with one another. And, you know, God forbid that we do a great job ministering to a bunch of people, but then, but then you know, things in our family don't go so well. And so um, uh, these strategies aren't a guarantee that you'll never have a, a, a challenge in any of your relationships, but what they are is a, is a framework for how to deal with the problems when they arise. Does that make sense? So I tell people when I do premarital counseling, I'm like, you need, you need a plan for when you hurt each other. You know, now sometimes when, when you get married, there's always a well-meaning relative that pulls somebody aside and says, well, now make sure you don't hurt this person. Well, that's an unrealistic expectation. And if you have that in your heart, you're, you're, you're going to live bound up and you're not going to be yourself around your spouse and you're going you're to put yourself in bondage and you think you're going to think that you're an awful person if you've ever caused your spouse pain and uh, that's that's not real life so it's like when there's a problem how many of you ever have relational challenges at work right when 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 the problems come how do we deal with it jesus said in this world you might have trouble did he say that? No. no, he said you will have trouble. There's, there's problems. And so he, thank God, doesn't abandon us. He, he helps us figure out what to do when the problems come. So last week, um, if you weren't here, I talked about the need for confrontation. I'll summarize that real quickly. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that message if you're gone. But we need to learn how to do confrontation because... Uh, Jesus has summoned us to a lifestyle of grace and liberty where there are more rules. You don't have to do as much confrontation because you just point people back to their relationship with the rules. But where there are fewer rules, you have to have more confrontation. The more freedom there is, the more people are going to do crazy stuff that you then have to talk to them about. That's basically how it is. And I was considering this and I was thinking that really... Not only does, does grace cause me to have to do more confrontation with other people, it requires me to confront issues in my own heart. And this is healthy. The, the thing of it is, is that uh, when I have a, um, you know, like a religious system or I have a whole bunch of rules that it's, that's controlling me from the outside, yes. it can keep my behavior in line yes. even if my heart is messed up. And, and if, if those rules get removed, then all of a sudden, what's in my heart becomes exposed. Mm -hmm. 
And, and sometimes we don't like what's in there. And so we're, we're required to confront the issues and, and deal with them. But that's actually healthy because it can make you whole. It can, it can fix you. Whereas religion, when it's controlling your, you through external means, it actually prevents growth because you don't know what's, what's going on inside there. So, grace will make you grow up. Yeah. Praise God. All right. We also said that confrontation done well, the goal of confrontation is to strengthen my connection with another person. Confrontation done well is a move towards somebody that's hurting me, not away from them. Conversely, confrontation done poorly moves me away from another person. And it tries to control their behavior through external means. And we said that there's three unhealthy ways of communicating and trying to control people. They all have the same goal, which is I'm going to control you and keep you away from me because you're causing me pain. So the first one we said was aggressive communication. That's when you attack somebody. The second one was passive. That's when you withdraw and emotionally blackmail people. And the third one is passive aggression when you uh, use sarcasm and other uh, underhanded tactics to surreptitiously tell people how you feel. Now, uh, before I go into how to do this in a healthy way, um, I wanted to address this. Nobody, no, we, don't like, we don't like looking at these things typically. I mean, if I do it the right way, it's kind of funny because you're like, oh yeah, that's me. But, but it, it can be hard to acknowledge that you're one of these three types of, of communicators. And so I want to address the delusion that goes along with each, each one of them. All right? <laughs> okay, so if you're an aggressive communicator... You, you might fall prey to the delusion that you're, a really good that you're really good at confrontation. Because you're like, I'm not afraid to get in somebody's face. I'm great at confrontation, Pastor. I'll tell somebody what for. That's not quite what confrontation is. All right? Passive communicators, which, which was me, I told you in my marriage, they can fall prey to the delusion that they're, that they're a hero and that it's heroic not, not to share what's going on inside of you because we think, well, we're taking one for the team. All right? And then passive-aggressive communicators, if the whole point of being passive-aggressive is that you're, you're being sneaky, right? And so... So if you're good enough at it, you can, you can delude even yourself into believing that you're not actually being passive-aggressive. <laughs> it's like, I didn't mean that sarcastically, and you're saying that, to, you know, but you did, but you delude even yourself, okay? So, so um, the reason I go over that is not to be mean or criticize anybody, because we've all done this stuff. It's so that we can honestly look at it and assess ourselves and say, okay, let's not do that in the future. So nobody does that stuff perfectly. Just forgive yourself. Jesus already forgave you. Did Jesus already forgive you? Jesus already died for you. He's not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. All right, so just forgive yourself and then resolve to live more fully out of your identity in Christ. So I thought we should make this confession together. Everybody repeat after me. I am a powerful person. I can control myself. And how I communicate in every circumstance. Other people, Other people 
do not control how I treat them. I courageously move towards people I care about through confrontation even when I'm hurting. Amen. Everybody said, so be it. That's what amen means. All right, let's, let's look at uh, how to do this in a healthy way. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5 says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment that you judge, you shall be judged. <laughs> That's, anyway, all right. <laughs> and with the measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Now notice verse 3. And why do you behold the mote that is in your brother's eye, but consider not the beam that is in your own eye. How will you say to your brother, let me pull the mote out of your own eye, and behold, a beam is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first cast the beam out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to cast the mote out of your brother's eye. This is a portion of Scripture about confrontation. And what he's saying here, he's not saying that you don't ever get to address a mote in somebody else's eye. He's saying the first thing that you're going to do if you, if you need to get into a confrontation is you've got to deal with yourself in your own heart first. Yeah. Why? Because, because here's what happens. When something hurts you or your brother or sister or somebody at work or your spouse or whatever, your kids, do something that hurts you, Big picture, it's sort of like a, you know, a piece of dust or dirt or something in their eye. It's probably not the end of the world. Probably they're not Hitler or something. Probably they're, they're a good person who made a, a poor decision. Mm -hmm. How many of you can say amen to that? Amen. But, but the, the moat in their eye can create a beam of emotional turmoil in my own heart. And, and the pain that this thing has caused me, it blinds me. Mm -hmm. My emotions blind me. My emotional response to the thing can blind me so that I can't see clearly to address the problem and do the confrontation well. And I end up feeling around, where is it? Where is it? Bam! Did I get it? <laughs> yeah. Right? So, <clears throat> when I'm emotionally compromised, Jesus is saying, that's not the time to do the confrontation. <laughs> really simple advice, really good advice. A lot of times we don't listen. And the reason we don't listen, those of us that don't listen, is because we're external processors. What's an external processor? It's somebody like me who feels better about things when you talk about them. And my solution to everything is, just talk about it some more. And then if it's not working, talk about it again. And I want to talk about it right now. Like right now. External processors feel anxiety about issues until they're talked about. What you have to learn is that that you don't have to do it immediately. So all external processors, take a deep breath with me. Release. 
Repeat after me. I, I do not, do not have, to talk about it have to talk about it right now. Right now. <laughs> you don't. I had to learn this the hard way because nobody explained this to me in church. You don't have to talk about it right now. You do have to talk about it sometime, though. Internal processors, you guys are not off the hook. Internal processors, you feel better about things by thinking about them. And so you want to go away and think about it. Think about it, think about it, think about it, think about it. Until I feel better. And what can happen is, you'll go away, you'll think about it, think about it, think about it, think about it, and you're like, oh, I'm good. And then you forget about it. And then you don't ever want to talk about it because you've dealt with it. <laughs> that's great for you unless you're in a relationship with somebody that's an external processor and they're like, I'm dying over here. <laughs> so internal processors, take a deep breath. Exhale. Repeat after me. I do not, I do not. have to talk about it, talk about right, it. Now. right now. But, but I, do I do have to talk about it sometime. sometime. Now, here's the question. When is sometime? When is sometime? And that's, that's a question I can't answer for you. That's a question that you and the person you're in relationship with, whether it's your spouse or your coworker or whatever, your kid, that's, you have to come together and you have to agree on when sometime is. And sometime is not later. Later could be forever. Sometime is at 3 o'clock on Thursday or tomorrow at 5 p.m. or some clear point in the future so that the external processor can breathe. Hallelujah. All right. Does that all make sense? Oh, yeah. So what do you have to do before you enter a confrontation? First of all, you've got you've to deal with your emotions a little bit. So you've got to have space. You've got to have time to, to breathe. And so take a moment and, and help get rid of your emotions. It might be clouding your vision. So there's different ways to do that, you know, whatever way works for you. Pray. You know, do some breathing or something. Sometimes we forget to breathe. Worship, exercise helps. Whatever you need to do to calm down. I go sit in my hot tub. Hallelujah. <laughs> Believe God. I told Pastor Lawson, I was like, everybody ought to have a hot tub. His wife loved me. I don't know how much he agreed. But anyway. Um, and then you want to do 2 Corinthians 5.16, which says... Uh, uh, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. So you want to look past people's flesh. Right? You want to look past the thing that they've done that's hurt you. And you want to try to see them the way that God sees them. Sure. And so a good thing to do is you can learn to do this. You can, you can picture the person that's, that's bothering you. How many of y'all, Pastor Greg Moore calls those our sandpaper people. <laughs> Because they rub you the wrong way. But if you let them rub you enough, you'll rub off the rough edges. But anyway, uh, you picture that person, and then, and then you ask God, 
let me feel about them the way that you feel in my emotions. And I've learned to practice this, and it works. If I think about people and I, and I pray that prayer, I can feel the pleasure of God over people. It's awesome. It's one of the best feelings that there is. And it can shift the way that you view people, and then you can go into a confrontation with a better, better attitude. All right? Then the next thing you want to do before even doing the confrontation, you want to ask yourself this question. Do I have the relational connection with this person that is necessary to do the confrontation effectively? What's that mean? Is, is there enough relational history? Is there, is there connectivity between me and this person that if I pull on it a little bit, it will we'll stay together? Because if there's not, I may need to go and build the relationship first before I do the confrontation. Hello. Amen. Not, not, everybody is, is somebody, not everybody that's got a problem is somebody that I'm supposed to confront. Because I'm not everybody's best friend. I'm not everybody's uh, dad. I'm not everybody's pastor. I'm not everybody's spouse or whatever. And so... There's, there's got to be some relational connection in order for me. It's the, I, I'm doing confrontation with people that are, um, you know, connected to me relationally. Romans 14.4 says that you're not to judge another man's servant. That's why all these people that are on YouTube that have like heresy hunter sites and whatever, and they're like telling you about why such and such minister is of the devil and whatever. Look. Even if their theology is right, their heart is wrong. Because it's not, it's not any of their business. Hallelujah. That makes me feel good as a minister. <laughs> Every now and then somebody will... Anyway, all right. Don't focus on that. Hallelujah. So you want to ask yourself, do you have the, the necessary relational connection? If not, build it, build it up first. How do you do that? Use the, use the love languages. My wife sent me this text this morning. It said, you're awesome. And like, I was like, I am. I feel so good right now. We've been married 13 years, but still, this tingle went all the way up my spine. I thought, man, that beautiful woman thinks I'm awesome. And so, so... What's that do? It builds the, the connectivity yes. between my, my wife and I. She's got a lot of license to, to confront me about stuff <laughs> more than anybody else because we have more relational connectivity. Hallelujah. All right. Does that all make sense? Okay. Now, how do you do the actual confrontation? Turn over to Matthew 18. This is where the, where the rubber meets the road here. Matthew 18, 15, Jesus says, Moreover, if your brother will trespass against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Does it say, go and tell him about his character faults? Does it say, go and talk in generalities about all the things that are wrong with that individual? No. Here's what tends to happen. When you get hurt by somebody, your frontal lobe shuts down and you begin to view that person as an enemy and then you begin to tell yourself, you create narratives 
about how they're really an evil person and how they've done all these terrible things. And you, if you're not careful, you can, you can start to list a whole bunch of problems with their character and whatever. And when you go into the confrontation, you're not, you're not focused on the specific issue that triggered the thing. You're focused on them as a whole person. And instead of dealing with, with the fault, you start dealing with the person. Hello. The, the person's not the problem. I'll say that again. The person is not the problem. Their behavior might be a problem, but, but they're a person I'm in, I'm in relationship with and I'm trying to be connected to. And so I've got to figure out how to, how to honor them and... and talk about the specific issue. So what I want to do is I want to go to them privately, not in an embarrassing way, but, but discuss with them whatever the issue was that, that bothered me. And so the real art form in this is you've got to learn how to describe somebody's actions, how those actions have affected you or their words have affected you, and you want to do it without causing their defenses to raise. You want to be a skillful communicator, that's, that's where the money is. It's me describing to you how your words or your actions have affected me without making you feel attacked. Because if I make you feel attacked, your defenses will raise and you will not hear the feedback that I'm trying to give you. And if you want people to change, you want them to hear the feedback. Yeah. So you're not, when you attack people, when you do it aggressively or passively or passive-aggressively, you're, you're actually at counter-purpose with what you're trying to achieve. What you're trying to do is get somebody to alter how they treat you, right? If you want people to alter how they treat you, you've got to be able to talk to them in a way that does not make them feel attacked. It's not easy. It takes practice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some, some tools here to do that. Um, uh, but a couple great books, if you're really serious about learning how to do this. One is called Keep Your Love On by Danny Silk. We did it as a small group. It's a phenomenal book. Um, the other one is called Crucial Conversations. That's a bunch of research. It's by several different people. Crucial Conversations. Uh, tools for communicating when the stakes are high. It says, okay? So anyway, how do, you, how do you communicate with people in a way that doesn't raise their defenses? You do it through what's called assertive communication. So in assertive communication, you, you believe that both parties' perspectives are important and valuable. So it's like, I want you to hear what's on my heart, but I also value your perspective. So you matter and I matter. Right? Then, what you want to do is talk about yourself and how you feel and how you think, not about the other person. I'm going to talk about me, not about you, and I'm not going to make assumptions about your motivations or your character or what's going on inside your heart. You need to live with the conviction that it's your responsibility to share what's going on inside your heart. It is not your responsibility to guess what's going on in somebody else's. Hello. Everybody okay? 
if, as an external processor, which, which if, it, if you're an external processor, it tends to be easier for you to share what's inside here. If you're continually guessing what's going on inside the other person and saying stuff and interrupting them because you can talk faster than them, you will stymie their ability to share what's, what's going on inside. You have to control yourself and say, I will wait <laughs> to talk until it's my turn. So it's not my job. It's not my job to guess what's going on inside of you. I used to think that I knew what was going on inside of people. And, and that was arrogance. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to repent. Now I realize I have no idea. So I just don't even guess anymore. I try not to. It used to bother me. I'd look out, you know, when I'm preaching, and some people would be like, you know, and they're like glaring at me. And I think, God, they hate me. And then they'll come up and they'll be like, that was the best message I've ever heard. And that was their concentration face. And I misread it. I don't know what's going on inside people. So what do you do? You, how do you communicate? You talk about me. So you describe how situations made you feel. You use the phrase, I feel blank. I feel sad. I feel alone. I feel confused. I feel undervalued. Not, I feel like you are a jerk. I feel like you don't care about me. I feel like you always leave the, the trash for me to clean up or whatever. That's about you. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Everybody with me? What do I do? I crack open my chest and I make myself vulnerable and I try to seek stronger connections. So I'm, I'm avoiding universals. I'm not saying you never do whatever or you always do this or, or all that. I don't want to say any of that. Again, I'm talking about specific instances. This is what they taught me to do when I was a teacher. When you're a teacher and you have a child that has a behavioral problem in, in the classroom, what you don't want to say to a parent is, well, you've got a bad kid. <laughs> Okay, you don't, you don't want to attack the child's character. What you want to do is describe specific instances where they had specific behaviors, right? And then how that behavior affects the class or how it affects you as a teacher or whatever. This is, this is the exact same thing we have to learn to do in relationships. Figure out the specific situation and then describe how it makes you feel. So when I teach this in premarital counseling, I always... I always use this one example um, uh, because it's one that I remember, and I always use the same example. So um, one time, and it's a, it's a real, real story. So <clears throat> actually, I'm not going to tell that. I'm going to use these examples. Um, if you want to hear that, you can come to marital counseling. So anyway, <laughs> so here's, here's, these are the things that happen in, in marriage or in life, all right? So here's, a, here's a, you know, an example. A spouse is home from work late three nights in a row. Is that a real life example? Anybody ever, don't raise your hand. But 
So somebody's mad because the other person's not, not home in time. Well, an aggressive communicator, what are they going to do? They're going to attack the person. They're going to say, you're always home late. You don't care that I have to take care of the kids and do the dishes. What are they doing? They're attacking the character of the person. Right? They're using universals. They're um, not doing a good job communicating what's in their heart. They're talking about the other person. A passive communicator would just go to bed and ignore the spouse. What's wrong? Nothing. <laughs> Passive-aggressive communicator would eat all the dinner except for the vegetables and leave a note that says, sorry the kids ate all the steak. Hope you make it home earlier next time. What's an assertive communicator do? An assertive communicator cracks open my chest. I, I say what your behavior was, but then I say how it affects me. I'm not attributing motive to you. I'm, I'm not trying to say why you did it. I'm just saying you did this. I'm describing the facts, just the facts, like they used to say on Dragnet. Just the facts, man. Don't, don't embellish or what's, don't editorialize. Just say what happened. So. When you come home late, is that, is that, that's a fact, right? Nobody's, nobody's being attacked. When you come home late, it makes me feel, so now I'm talking about me, right? It make, how does it make me feel? It makes me feel alone and overwhelmed because of all the stuff I have to take care of. Does that feel attacking? No, it's, it's describing what's going on inside me. So if Molly said that to me, I'd be like, oh, I'm really sorry. I didn't want to make you feel that way. If she'd said, you're a terrible person, I'd be like, well, I don't like you much either. And then, that's, <laughs> then, then not much would have happened, right? I wouldn't, she wouldn't have got her desired result. What's she want? She wants me to come, come home on time or, you know, call or something. But the way to do that is to make herself vulnerable and tell me how my choices affect her. Right? It's grace. It trusts that people are, are love Jesus and want to change if you give them good feedback. Okay, now somebody's like, well, I'm not married. What is this? How does this affect me? Well, you have relationships with lots of people. So let's pretend you're at work and the boss institutes a new policy that you disagree with. Well, an aggressive communicator is going to go to the boss and say, this policy is stupid and you're a fool for implementing it. They're going to attack the boss, right? What's a passive communicator going to do? Well, they're going to bury their concern about the new policy and just let the company head in a bad direction. Now, honestly, of the two, I'd, ra if, I'd rather have an assertive communicator, but, but in the workplace, if I've got a choice, at least the aggressive person is going to tell you where they stand. Because, because the passive person, <laughs> if all you got the passive communicators, you might, this worries me as a pastor sometimes, is, you know, not right now, but, but, you know, really big ministries, you know, sometimes the guy at the top, you know, just, there's just a bunch of yes men, you know, and they won't ever say anything if, if the guy's making a bad decision and then, and then something bad happens. So that's not good. But anyway, and then a passive-aggressive communicator would agree to the policy, uh, but then secretly work to undermine it. <laughs> so that's not good either, right? 
What's an assertive communicator do? You just go to the boss and you say, hey boss, I'm concerned about this new policy because blank. What am I talking about? I'm talking about me. I'm concerned. Yeah. Not talking about you. You're, you're not a terrible boss, et cetera, et cetera. I'm talking about me and my concern for, for the situation. Is that helpful? Okay, let's all stand up. Again, if you want more information, I'd encourage you to read those books. If I got my prayer team come down here. Um, I'm going to pray for everybody. Whenever I teach this, I'm always like, God, oh, I need to repent. <laughs> so don't feel bad. Remember, God, God loves us, all right? It's not about... Uh, feeling bad. It's just about learning what to do better. So anyway, um, if you want personal prayer, you can come down in just a minute. I want to remind you, if you're new, uh, we'd love to have you at the link. Make sure to sign up on the way out. Give me your contact information so that I can get in touch with you, tell you where we live and whatever. Uh, but anyway, I'm going to pray for you. We love you. God loves you. Amen. If you need healing, you need some other something else from God, just come down and receive prayer. I'll pray for everybody. Father, thank you for your radical love for us. Thank you that you're a powerful communicator and that you move close to us, that you communicate in an assertive way, not an aggressive or an attacking way. And Lord, we just, um, we love you. We're honored to be in relationship with you and get to do life with you and get to see supernatural things happen. We just thank you for that. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. You guys have a great week. If you need personal prayer, you can come down and pray with the prayer minister. If you want to meet me, I'll be right down here. Again, sign up on your way out.